Well, kids, it's October, and you know what that means. It's spooky season. Now, last October, in honor of Halloween, I did episodes on bats and spiders. So to kick off this October, I want to talk about another animal that often gets associated with Halloween, and that's owls. I don't think I ever saw or even heard an owl in the wild until I was well into my 30s. In 2007, we were living in Springfield, Virginia, part of the greater Washington, D.C. metro area, and we were lucky enough to have a pair of barred owls nest in our backyard. We got to not only hear them calling, but we got to see them up close and watch as they raised a family, the babies leaving the nest before they could fly, climbing nearby trees with their beaks and talons, and having mom and dad continue to feed them. It was absolutely amazing to witness and earned the barred owl a place in my heart. So let's shine our light into the darkness and take a closer look at those nocturnal birds of prey, the owls. I'm your host, Tim the Nature Nerd O'Hara, and this is the Dispatches from the Forest podcast. In Greek mythology, the owl was often associated with Athena, goddess of wisdom, and represented both wisdom and protection. But by the Middle Ages in Europe, owls had become associated with witches, and they were thought to inhabit dark, lonely, and profane places. This is probably because, like the howl of coyotes, an owl's call in the night and their ability to move silently through the darkness seems to touch some primitive part of our brain, the part that warns us to be wary of unseen creatures that call to each other from the shadows. An owl's haunting call in the dark and otherwise quiet night filled people with dread and apprehension, a fear that death was imminent or some evil was at hand. Now, superstition aside, owls have evolved to be experts at hunting in the dark, targeting their prey with incredible vision and pinpoint hearing, then swooping in on silent wings to seize their quarry with razor-sharp talons. On a side note, owls will, at times, hunt during the day, and there are two species of owl, out of over 200 worldwide, that are strictly diurnal. But, well, let's say there's a reason why the phrase night owl was coined. So let's take a look at how owls are adapted to the nightlife. First of all, we have their most prominent feature, their eyes. An owl's eyes are very large in relation to their head. In fact, in some species, the eyes can account for 3 to 5% of their total body weight. Let's put that in perspective. I weigh about 160 pounds. If my eyes were 4% of my body weight, so right in the middle of that range, they would weigh about 6.5 pounds. Though they look round from the front, like other raptors, an owl's eyes are actually tube-shaped, making them more like telescopes and giving them excellent long-distance vision. In fact, owls are very farsighted. They have a hard time focusing on things up close. So to compensate for that, they've evolved whisker-like bristles near their beaks that help them detect objects at close range. An owl's eyes are held in place by bony structures called sclerotic rings. Because the eyes are so big, the owl can't move them in the eye socket like humans can, meaning an owl teenager will never roll its eyes because it's physically not capable of doing so. Instead, an owl has to turn its whole head. Now, owls have binocular vision, just like we do, and judge distances similar to the way that we do as well. But the field of view for an owl is about 110 degrees, and about 70 of that is binocular. 
Humans, in comparison, have a field of view that covers about 180 degrees, so 70 degrees more, with about 140 degrees being binocular, so twice as much. But to compensate for their lack of eye movement and narrower field of vision and the need to turn their whole head, an owl has evolved to have more vertebrae in its neck. In fact, they have twice as many as we do, 14 to our 7. That means that where you and I can turn our heads about 80 degrees to each side and look left or right, an owl can turn its head 270 degrees. That's looking over your left shoulder by turning your head to the right. Think about that for a minute. Now, these large eyes have two adaptations that help them function well in the dark. First of all, an owl's eyes are dominated by densely packed retinal rods. So, quick biology 101 lesson, all animals have two types of photoreceptors in their eyes, rods and cones. Cones are responsible for color vision and work really well in bright light. Rods, on the other hand, are more sensitive and function best in dim light. We humans have about 200,000 rods per square millimeter. Owls have almost 1 million per square millimeter, so five times more. The second adaptation is a reflective layer of tissue behind the retina called the tapetum lucidum, which literally translates as bright tapestry. This layer reflects visible light and dramatically increases the light available for the photoreceptors and therefore improves night vision. Many animals that have adapted to the nocturnal lifestyle have a tapetum lucidum, including foxes, raccoons, deer, and cats. It's the reason why their eyes reflect so well in cars' headlights or flashlight beams or flash photographs. In addition to great night vision, owls have hearing that's incredibly acute as well, but their ears may not be where you think they are. Many owls have tufts of feathers, officially called plumicorns, at the top of their heads, where other animals' ears are located. The purpose of the plumicorns is not really fully known, but it's thought that they help camouflage the owl by breaking up its silhouette and also serve as a visual cue in territorial and other interactions between them and other owls. Either way, they're definitely not ears. An owl's ears are located in roughly the same place as yours or mine, on the sides of their heads behind the eyes. The ear openings are covered in feathers, which, combined with the owl's disc-shaped face, helps funnel sound waves to the ears. Even the shape of their beak helps them hear better by increasing the surface area over which sound waves are collected. Owls also have asymmetrical ears. The ears are different sizes, different shapes, and positioned on the skull so that one is higher than the other. This allows the owl to precisely pinpoint the source of any given sound, up, down, left, and right, by detecting the difference between when sound reaches one ear versus when it reaches the other. An owl can detect a difference of just 30 millionths of a second. The translation of up, down, left, or right signals are combined instantly in the owl's brain and creates a mental image of the space where the sound is located. Studies of owl brains have shown that the area in the brain associated with hearing, the medulla, is much more complex than in other birds. A barn owl's medulla is estimated to have at least 95,000 neurons, three times as many as a crow. Owls also process sounds faster than humans. Humans can process sounds as short as 1 20th of a second, but owls and other birds can process sounds as short as 1 200th of a second. 
An owl's range of audible sounds is not unlike that of humans, but they can detect sounds at a much lower volume, and an owl's hearing is much more acute at certain frequencies, which lets them hear even the slightest movement of prey in leaves or undergrowth or even under snow. The end result is that owls have some of the best hearing in the animal kingdom. Once the owl has determined the location of its next meal, it flies towards it, keeping its head in line with the direction of the last sound the prey made. If the prey moves, the owl can make corrections in mid-flight. When the owl's about two feet away from the prey, it'll bring its feet forward and spread its talons, and, just before striking, thrust its legs out in front of its face and often close its eyes before the kill. The last thing that makes owls such efficient hunters is their ability to move silently, allowing them to surprise their prey. Diurnal raptors, like the peregrine falcon I talked about in episode 17, rely on speed to surprise their prey. They don't need to be silent because by the time the prey hears them coming, it's too late. But owls are just the opposite. They come in silently out of the darkness and surprise their prey. One thing that helps them do this is their broad wings. Having broader wings means they can glide farther without flapping. Flapping is noisy business. I mean, think about pigeons or doves or even ducks that you've heard taking off, and you know what I mean. Gliding, however, like a paper airplane, is much quieter. Also, an owl's feathers are adapted to make even less noise. If you look closely at an owl's feathers, you'll notice two things. First of all, they look kind of rough around the edges. Where other birds' feathers have a sharp edge, an owl's feathers look kind of scraggly. In addition, if you look at the feathers on the leading edge of the wing, you'll notice comb-like serrations. Now, these two features serve to break up turbulence and reduce wind noise. Feathers on the legs also reduce wind noise. Combined together, it means that an owl gliding through the air makes very little sound. Like other raptors, owls have four sharp talons on each foot in what is called a raptorial arrangement, three facing forward and the longest one, called the hallux, facing backwards. What you might be surprised by is the length of an owl's legs. Seriously, Google owl legs and look at some pictures. When you see a perched owl, you only see its feet sticking out from underneath its body, but an owl's legs are nearly half the length of its body. Burrowing owls, which nest in abandoned prairie dog burrows, regularly chase their prey on foot. They can't necessarily run far, but their average running speed is between 20 and 30 miles an hour, with a maximum speed of 40 miles an hour. Now, like all raptors, owls eat by tearing up their prey into small pieces and consuming the entire thing, including the meat, bones, and fur. In owls, the food is broken down in the first of two parts of the stomach. Indigestible parts, primarily fur, bones, and insect shells, are held in the second part of the stomach, the gizzard, while the rest of the meal continues to the intestines. In the gizzard, these parts are compacted and then regurgitated every six to ten hours or so as a pellet. Pretty much all raptors expel pellets in a similar way, but owl pellets tend to be larger on average. Finding these pellets in the wild is really cool. They kind of look like compact cylinders of dryer lint, and dissecting them can tell you what the owl has been eating. Now, this is a great activity for kids, but finding owl pellets in the wild is kind of like finding treasure. It can be done, but unless you know where the owls like to roost, it's not easy. 
If you're interested in dissecting owl pellets, and you don't need kids to do it, you can actually buy owl pellets online. One pellet with dissecting tools and a bone chart will run you about $6.50 on Amazon. Or if you wanted to do this with a larger group, you can buy them in bulk for around $3 each on Amazon and some other websites. Although wild-found pellets are not necessarily unsanitary, the ones you buy online are usually sanitized in an autoclave, just to make sure. Okay, so let me tell you about just a few specific species of owls. I'll start with one of the most widespread and recognizable owls in North America, the great horned owl, named for their large plumicorns. Great horned owls are found throughout the U.S., much of Canada, Central America, and much of South America. It's the largest owl in Central and South America, and the largest by size in the U.S., although the snowy owl is heavier on average. Great horned owls stand about two feet tall and have about a five-foot wingspan. With great horned owls, mated pairs occupy territories year-round and long-term. Territories are established and maintained through hooting, with the highest activity right before egg-laying, and a second peak in autumn when the juveniles disperse. Territories can range anywhere from six square miles to less than one, depending on prey density. The normal call of the great horned owl is pretty much what you think of when you think of owls. The female's call is higher and rises in pitch at the end of the call. But great horned owls, like most owls, can make a wide variety of other sounds and calls. During the nesting season, males usually have a favorite roosting site not far from the nest, sometimes used over successive years, which, incidentally, is a great place to find pellets if you can find it. Outside of the nesting season, great horned owls usually roost wherever their foraging path ends at dawn. When roosting, great horned owls often rest in what is described as the tall, thin position, where they sit very erect and hold themselves as slim as possible. This posture is another way to camouflage and is seen in other owls too, like long-eared owls and great gray owls, especially if humans or other potential carnivores approach them. Great horned owls are most actively hunting between 8.30 p.m. and midnight, and then again from 4.30 a.m. to sunrise. And the majority of prey, just in terms of sheer numbers, are small rodents. But in terms of biomass, the most important prey for great horned owls are rabbits and hares. But like all owls, great horned owls are opportunistic hunters and have the most diverse prey profile of any raptor in the Americas. Over 500 different species have been identified as great horned owl prey. In North America, their diet is about 87% mammals, 6% birds, 1.5% reptiles and amphibians, and the remaining 5% or so is made up of insects and an assortment of other invertebrates and fish. On the other end of the spectrum size-wise is the eastern screech owl. Screech owls are small owls. Adults grow to be just 7 to 10 inches tall and have about a 2-foot wingspan. They have prominent wide-set plumicorns and bright yellow-green eyes. Like most owls, their brown, white, and gray coloration helps them camouflage against tree bark. Eastern screech owls also have what's known as a rufous morph, which is a rusty red color and more common in the southern part of their range. Eastern screech owls are strictly nocturnal, roosting during the day in cavities or next to tree trunks. 
They can be found in a wide variety of habitats, including residential areas. They're actually quite common, but due to their small size and their excellent camouflage, they're more frequently heard than seen. These owls are often heard calling at night, especially during their spring breeding season. Now, despite their name, eastern screech owls don't really screech. The eastern screech owl's call is a tremolo with a descending whinny-like quality that sounds a little like a tiny horse. They also produce a purring trill that lasts three to five seconds. Again, like most owls, eastern screech owls are opportunistic hunters. Due to the ferocity and versatility of their hunting style, early authors actually nicknamed the eastern screech owl feathered wildcats. During the breeding season, large insects are their preferred prey, making up more than half of the screech owl's diet. They'll also eat crayfish, snails, spiders, earthworms, scorpions, and leeches, along with small rodents, birds, and fish. While eastern screech owls can live over 20 years in captivity, wild birds seldom, if ever, survive that long. Mortality rates of young and nestling owls may be as high as 70%, usually due to predation. Common predators of screech owl nests include possums, minks, weasels, raccoons, skunks, a variety of snakes, crows, and blue jays. Eastern fox squirrels may raid the tree cavities used by screech owls and not only destroy or consume the eggs, but also kick the adult owls out and use the hole for themselves. Adult screech owls have fewer predators, but larger species of owls and other raptors will take them. In between the great horned owl and the screech owl in size is the barred owl, the one that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. Barred owls get to be about two feet tall and have about a four-foot wingspan. When I first heard the barred owl and read up on them, I had to laugh, because the description in the Audubon Society field guide said something to the effect of, you'll only hear them in the deepest forest in the darkest of night. And at the time, we were living in a very urban area, and we would hear them all day long. Although they make a variety of sounds, including a screeching hiss, their primary call sounds like they're saying, Who cooks for you? Who cooks for you all? Now, after doing some more in-depth research, what I found is that barred owls are not as fully nocturnal as many owls. In fact, they rank sixth of 19 regular North American owl species for the regularity of their daytime activity, especially when a rival is calling or when they're hunting. Daytime activity tends to be in the early morning or around dusk, but can potentially be at any time, especially on overcast days. Unlike screech owls, barred owls are less dependent on camouflage to stay safe. Instead, they tend to be more skittish, flying away at the least disturbance. That said, they've also been said to be curious of people in the wild and have been described as being mild and engaging. Barred owls tend to be highly territorial, regardless of the time of year. 
Territories are claimed by calling from different perches, often near the perimeter of the perceived home range. The boundaries are almost always well-maintained by barred owls and generally are stable from year to year and even generation to generation. Average size of a territory for a barred owl is between 600 and 800 acres. Barred owls primarily prey on small mammals, over three-quarters of their diet, in fact, but the next biggest percentage of prey, about 16%, is actually invertebrates like insects, which is somewhat unusual for an owl of this size. But again, like other owls, barred owls are opportunistic and will eat other birds, reptiles, and fish if they have a chance. Okay, one last thing I want to share with you about owls. Although we've all been raised to think that owls say who or hoot, the fact is that many owls sound nothing like that. For example, the first time I heard a short-eared owl, we were living in Wyoming, and I honestly thought there was a baby antelope in distress. I grabbed my flashlight and I went on a rescue mission, and instead, what I found were short-eared owls. Here's the call of the long-eared owl. And finally, this is the call of the barn owl, not only the most widely distributed species of owl in the world, but one of the most widespread species of bird in the world. I can definitely see how that would be a terrifying sound to suddenly hear in the darkness. And with that, we'll wrap up this episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. Be sure to leave a like and subscribe. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want to help support future episodes, please consider becoming a patron. Head over to patreon.com forward slash dispatches from the forest to get all the details. You can also follow Dispatches from the Forest on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion for a future episode, feel free to send me an email. You can reach me at dispatchesfromtheforest at gmail.com. I'm your host, Tim the Nature Nerd O'Hara, reminding you to go outside and get dirty. The Dispatches from the Forest podcast is a production of Dispatches from the Forest and may not be used or rebroadcast whole or in part without express written permission.